intuitive eating is hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard to get used to it, but it's the best way to eat because then you get to have dessert when you want it and nothing is off limits, but you're also not having dessert after every meal of the day and feeling sick. Hi everyone, I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to The Platform Podcast, where we get real so you can be well. Each week, I'll be sitting down with the leading voices in health, wellness, women's empowerment, and entrepreneurship. My guests use conversations to bring about social change and elevate consciousness. And they're here to educate you on the latest healing remedies, ancient wisdom, and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated the platform so we can grow, be vulnerable, and authentically connect. Have you ever known someone that out of nowhere makes huge impacts in every facet of your life? Someone who at first meeting, you may have thought you had nothing in common with and that a friendship was probably unlikely because you wouldn't vibe. But upon second and third and fourth encounters, you realize they are a magical unicorn sent to change the entire course of your health, well-being, and career. Well, if you haven't, I wish this person for each of you. For me, her name is Jordan Younger. She is the mastermind behind the incredibly successful and beloved blog, The Balanced Blonde, host of the Soul on Fire podcast, and author of Breaking Vegan. You can find her on Instagram at The Balanced Blonde. Jordan is the sweetest, most vulnerable, and loving person you will ever meet. And I am lucky enough to call her my friend and honestly, one of the most critical mentors I've ever had in my life. We get into all of the good stuff in this episode. I am so excited for you to listen. Jordan Younger, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. I feel like we just talked and had an interview, like what, two weeks ago? Yes. But I'm so glad that we have a chance to kind of continue that because I feel like there's so much more to talk about. And you got engaged since then. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. I know, I was so excited to come on and do this with you today because I feel like my life is so different mm -hmm. than it was a couple weeks ago, which I guess we can all say for that's how life goes, yeah. but really different yeah. than a couple weeks ago. How surprised were you when it happened? Shocked. <laughs> Entirely shocked. I love that you knew. Everybody seemed to know except for me. Yeah. But I was so unassuming. Jonathan had told me We'll go to Hawaii, we'll come back from Hawaii, and we'll look at rings together, oh. and I'll, propose, I'll be proposing like later this year. So I believed him with oh every fiber of my being, and he shocked me. He picked out this ring it's so without any input from me, which I love, because mm -hmm. I think that's so romantic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he did a really good job. So good. I was shocked. I thought he was joking. <laughs> I was like, he's pulling out a box, this is probably a necklace or something, and he doesn't realize that it looks like he's proposing. So Was he down on one knee? No. Oh, okay. So that's why, this, he's so Jonathan, he was trying to make it just as shocking as possible, <laughs> and like as special as possible, and just, he doesn't do anything in the typical way. Yeah. So he wasn't on one knee. We were laying on towels on the beach. Okay. And he said, I have a gift for you. Um, can I give it to you? And I said, yeah. So he pulls this box out of his shirt. His, he had, his shirt was off okay. and like rolled up in the sand. And he hands me the box. So I was thinking, okay, he got me a necklace or a bracelet in Australia, most likely, because mm -hmm. he had just gotten back. Yeah. And I'm going to have to act excited, even though this looks like a proposal. So like, <laughs> of course, Jonathan doesn't realize. So I opened the box. And there is a diamond ring in there. Wow. So I'm still thinking, okay, this looks like a proposal, but it's not. So what's going on? So I was just looking at him like, is this what I, is this what I think it is? And are you joke? Is this a joke? Like I said, all this stuff. And then he was just laughing and smiling. And then he said, will you marry me? But he was, he was just sitting. He wasn't on a knee or anything. And I said, yes. And then I like tackled him into the sand Aww. and yeah, the shock was above and beyond. Just so excited. Mm -hmm. I still feel on cloud nine. Yeah. It's been like a week and a half. Just the most special, most thrilling 
thing that's ever happened in my whole life. Well, and I think the amazing thing is the timing of it, right? So I feel like some people wait until all these great things are happening in your life and now's the time to like step into an engagement and then get married. And your life, in a lot of ways, I know you felt like was kind of falling apart. You diagnosed with Lyme, in so much pain, you had to cancel all your trips. Like there was all these things you couldn't do and I know you felt horrible. So what was it like to have that moment amidst kind of all of that? I love that question so much. I feel like, I just feel so lucky to have found someone who will propose to me at the sickest in my life, Mm -hmm. where just a few months ago, I was thinking with any other relationship I've ever been in, it would have ended because of how sick I've been. And I've been gone for most of this year, trying to heal myself, first in Bali, and then water fasting. I was gone for two and a half months. Mm -hmm. Jonathan just took care of my cat and took care of my apartment, and we didn't live together yet. And that whole time I was thinking, what, what a wonderful person to just wait for me and to understand how much I need this. And then I got back from all those trips and was sicker than life haven't been able to do anything. A relationship is not normal, not for us or not for what normal would look like for most people Mm -hmm. because I'm so sick, which you completely can relate to and understand. So I think the fact that he proposed when I've been so sick and I've had like rashes all over my body and can't stay up late, can't go out to dinner, can't travel mostly, Mm -hmm. can't go on dates, can't really do anything. And he still wants to spend the rest of his life with me even if my life looks like this for, we don't know how long, Mm -hmm. but I mean potentially forever. So I feel, I just, I just can't believe what a good-hearted person he is. Mm-hmm. And I feel so lucky for that. And for me, I think it's extra special that he proposed when I was so sick. Because if it was a year from now and I was just bouncing off the walls with energy and all better and back to myself, looking back on all these difficult times, that would be one thing. But it's the middle mm-hmm. of the most difficult, most difficult thing I've ever experienced in my life, so I think that says a lot about him, Mm -hmm. and it reassures me to the utmost degree (laughs) that he's in it, no matter how sick I am, no matter what my life looks like, and that means a lot. I think the interesting thing, and I talk to Bruce about this a lot, is not living in a fairy tale relationship and not being in a relationship where everything's always great and you put on your best self and you wake up and you like look amazing all the time Mm -hmm. and you know you feel great and it's kind of the the facade of early in a relationship and I think a lot of people rush and move quickly and they never get to know each other they don't go through something really hard so they don't know how the other person reacts and Bruce and I have had the same experience of I've been really sick and he's had to respond to that and Jonathan with you and I think that it just allows you to be more successful because you both have seen each other in trying times and you know how the other person is gonna react. I feel like a lot of people our age don't give themselves that opportunity to have that experience and they think, you know, they see the relationship with rose-colored glasses rather than reality. Yeah, exactly. And I've had relationships like that in the past where everything's great, so of course the relationship is great because you don't have to go through anything, Mm -hmm. but this relationship has not been that way. I mean, I think the first year everything was great, I was healthy, he's always healthy, (laughs) and we didn't have to deal with too many difficult things Mm -hmm. at all other than his severe allergic reaction to Hudson, my cat slash child, that was difficult. But, you know, not really at all in the grand scheme of things. So when I started to get really sick this year in January, when I was covered in head-to-toe hives and couldn't get out of bed, and my whole life started to just drastically change, and I saw how supportive he was, it was incredible. And it's so true because life is like that. Life Mm -hmm. is messy. You go through up and downs. There's 
so many, so many hardships that we face in life. So you want to know that the person that you're with is with you mm -hmm. through all of that and not just, not just when times are good. Mm -hmm. And I think back on previous relationships and I can see these people in my mind and they would flee if things got, got bad. And maybe they would then come back and be like, I'm sorry, I'm here for you, but they wouldn't be in it, mm -hmm. in the thick of things. Yeah. So. You picked a keeper. Yes, yes, he's a keeper, he's yeah. a real keeper. He's, yeah. He's amazing. He's so sweet. I, I love know, him. He's adorable. You guys and are so cute together. Thank you. <laughs> and he's so excited that I'm here with you today. I know, I know. So if people want to learn more about your entire journey, of course, they can go and listen to your podcast because you've done such a nice job of really explaining step-by-step step everything you've been through. You have a whole solo episode on the Lyme um, diagnosis and everything you've gone through. So I don't want to get too in-depth with that, but I do want to focus on... One thing we didn't get to talk about the other day, I'm really curious as to how you feel about having seen so many doctors and no one ever having tested you for Lyme. I feel so frustrated about that. It's something that I think about constantly mm -hmm. because, well, I don't know how long I've had Lyme because it's almost impossible to say. Judging by the symptoms and the way that I've felt in my life, I assume I've had it for about a decade. My family, some of whom are in this room, can yes. attest to that. Hey, mom. Um, <laughs> hey, mama. And I've been so sick for as long as I've, well, as long as I've lived. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Yeah. I don't think I was born with Lyme, but I'm sure that I have had it for about a decade and most certainly for the last several years mm -hmm. as I've seen every type of doctor under the sun and nobody even mentioned at all that this could be symptomatic of Lyme or of really any autoimmune diseases. So many different doctors wanted to focus either on the gut, because I do have really poor gut health, mm -hmm. which is most likely because of Lyme right. and all those other things, or they wanted to focus on, oh, you have anxiety, oh, this is just situational because you're going through this, or you have all these difficult things going on, so of course you have anxiety, so you should take this medication. Mm -hmm. or. Oh, you have stomach problems, you have food allergies, you have leaky gut. Oh, this is because you had an eating disorder, so your body is really messed up because it has had so much damage done to it. So I had so many people telling me things like that. Of course I trusted them. And then when I found more holistic medicine, like functional medicine and Ayurveda, I really started to trust these people, these doctors, more than my my last very very western doctors mm -hmm. so of course i trusted them and to them it was the hormones it was the stomach it was sensitivities to the environment and all of that is true but the root cause is lyme disease and it's crazy that i was never tested it's crazy that it's such an in the dark type of disease mm -hmm. that even i who maniacally research health and diseases constantly <laughs> had never even known what the symptoms are. Mm -hmm. um, my mom and I were saying this morning the only reason we even knew what Lyme disease was was because of Yolanda Hadid mm -hmm. and her journey yep. on Real Housewives of Beverly Thank Hill. God for her, by the way, because right. she, like you and so many of the women you're talking to now, are bringing awareness to something, but it's just not out there enough. Right, it's not. So. I think she is one of the most brave people I've ever come across, especially after reading her book. Mm -hmm. And nobody on her cast of the show believed that Lyme disease existed. Mm -hmm. Her own husband was awful to her and ended up leaving her. Two of her kids were sick with Lyme disease. She, all of, most of her Lyme was affecting her brain. So she had neurological Lyme disease and was losing her brain function, which I can feel to like a very tiny degree and mm -hmm. it's really scary, but mm -hmm. hers was so intense. And the fact that she pushed through, is fighting for a cure and was so open on national television about something that she was ridiculed for 
made so many enemies, I guess you could say, because nobody believed her, is so brave. Mm -hmm. And whenever I get the slightest negative comment or negative reaction to my trying to spread awareness of Lyme, I think of her mm -hmm. and I think of Allie Hilfiger and mm -hmm. other people in the spotlight who are talking about a disease that people still don't recognize, even so many doctors still don't recognize as legitimate. I think of them and I'm happy to do it also mm -hmm. for everyone else suffering who, mm -hmm. like me, didn't know what they had. Maybe most people out there still don't know what they have. It breaks my heart. So I think the tough thing with Lyme too is twofold. One, there aren't a lot of tests for it. There's like one test out there, right, that's actually very accurate. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of doc doctors don't know about that. And there's also all the co-infections that go with it that people also don't know about. So it's not just like, oh, I have Lyme, like let's treat this. It's I have Lyme, I have parasites, I have X, Y, and Z, and you have to treat all of it. Yeah. So what have you learned in all of that, knowing twofold? One, you have to have a special test, and two, you have all these other things that go along with it. Well, I just feel so lucky that Dr. Lehman came into my life, and you know how spiritual I am. I yeah. believe she was placed into my life for a reason, and so much thanks to the person who introduced me to her, my friend Celeste. Otherwise, I still would be in the dark because Dr. Lehman is a Lyme specialist, a tick-borne disease specialist. I didn't know that that type of doctor existed. If right. I did, I probably would have tried to see one like that sooner. And I was kind of seeing her as a last resort because I didn't know what was wrong with me and I didn't want to see another doctor because mm -hmm. my whole experience was nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I wanted to draw inward and go the very shamanistic route of like, I can figure it out. Yeah. Even if I have to do ayahuasca and have this whole like out of body experience, I want to be the one who figures this out because I don't trust anyone else mm -hmm. at this point. But I found her. And during my first appointment with her, before I had all the testing for Lyme and co-infections, she explained to me that Lyme disease has about 100 different cousins that are co-infections. Some that people have heard of would be Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Babesia, um, Ehrlichia, like all these things that might sound like a total foreign language as they did to me when she explained them to me. But she told me, we'll test you for all of these at some point, but right now we'll just do a basic Lyme test and a test for, I think, 12 of the co-infections that are some of the most common. And she explained that we were doing two different kinds of tests because there's the Western blot, which is the test that is recognized by the CDC, the Center of Disease Control, mm -hmm. but that's the one that it goes off of numbers. And so if, you're, if your Lyme numbers are below, I want to say like a 13, I could be wrong, but around there, then you don't have Lyme, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But that is so, it's just, there's so much misinformation because if you're way above, if you're like a 20 or something, then you're recognized by the CDC as having Lyme. But if you're way below, then you don't have Lyme, but, but you really could have Lyme. And oh, then if you're above, you have Lyme, but you may not actually have Lyme. So it's so confusing. So then we also did a different type of test called the immunoblot, which is some kind of blood test with the immune system. And um, my Lyme ended up picking up on both tests. So lucky for me, I would have been recognized as someone who had Lyme, even by a non-Lyme literate doctor. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about the world of Lyme literate doctors. So if anyone listening thinks that they might have Lyme, I would recommend finding a Lyme literate doctor, an LLMD. Otherwise, you'll go through all the outdated tests, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate and difficult, and you might not get the answers that you're looking for. Then I found out about the co-infections and the genetic mutations and the fact that Lyme also often goes hand in hand with mold poisoning, which is also called mycotoxin illness, mm -hmm. with parasites, with leaky gut, hormone imbalances, this gene most often, uh, which you have. The MTHFR. Yeah, exactly, yep. which just makes it really incredibly difficult to detox mm -hmm. from Lyme, mold, and all the other co-infections. Mm -hmm. yep. 
So some of these co-infections, they cause things that I've experienced for my whole life, like insomnia, constantly feeling sick, like fluish, and this Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So I always have a fever. And no wonder you're so pitta. I know. You're, wow. Yeah, so I'm so pitta in Ayurveda because I always have a fever. And even just the other day, I was telling Jonathan, feel my head, I have a fever. And he will still think to this day, like, my fiance is so dramatic. Um, he, and he says that, like, you don't have a fever, you, you're just hot. I'm like, no, I have. Like, I have answers now for my health, right. and I know that I constantly have this low-grade fever. Always. Oh my God, and no so, one. And then the systemic inflammation that that's probably creating because mm-hmm. you're always hot and then your digestion can never like slow down, cool down. Right. Oh so my imagine God. constantly having a fever and then trying to explain to the people around you, I feel kind of sick and this food is making me really sick and it's hard for me to travel because jet lag for me is so difficult. Like everything is just a little bit more difficult when, you, when you're constantly with this low-grade illness and then and then to keep answering your question about what I've learned I've also learned I never knew about Herxing mm. as I know you know the mm. whole Herxheimer reaction when you're treated for chronic illness you first get so sick before you get better because the bacteria is dying and you have toxins floating around your body before you can release them so my Herx Life has been so difficult because I started doing ozone therapy, infrared sauna, hyperbaric chamber, IVs, all sorts of things Mm -hmm. that cause so much, so much sickness Mm -hmm. before you start to feel better. So I've gotten used to four days out of the week feeling really sick post-treatment and then three days feeling pretty good and then doing it again. And I almost have to plan my life around mm-hmm. that cycle, yeah. which is difficult. It is. I've, I've been doing the ozone as well, and I have the same reaction. I'm down for three days. I'm in bed. I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm so tired. All I want to do is sleep. And then Thursday rolls around, and I'm like, let's work out. Yeah. I'm like, Wonder Woman, so strong. Yeah. And then Monday comes again, and then let's go again. And it's just like, so oh, hard. my God. And you know it's doing the right thing. Yeah. But at the same point, you do really have to plan your life around it. If I have to go work and you know do an event all weekend. I can't do an ozone the day before, otherwise I'll be out for the count. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This week I had to be very strategic. I still don't know if I have the appointment that I'm hoping for because mm. um, I'm teaching yoga on Thursday morning, and that's one thing I can't do mm-hmm. to the best of my ability when I'm sick from ozone yeah. or sick from treatment. And I did ozone the day before Jonathan proposed. So he was asking me all these questions. And looking back now, it makes sense. But I did the ozone. And he's like, so you're going to feel really sick for for like 48 hours, right? So don't you think you should go home and sleep so Mm -hmm. you feel better tomorrow? And I was like, why are you suddenly so interested? You're so attentive right now. What's happening? (laughs) And now I get it. And even on the morning that he proposed, He called me and said, I just want to make sure you're not like drinking any coffee or any matcha this morning because I really don't want you to crash this afternoon. And I was like, well, I want matcha though. I think I'm going to walk and get some. And he was kind of begging me not to. And looking back now, I know why. (laughs) But I had the matcha and nothing could have crashed me down. No, yeah. Adrenaline high for days. Exactly. So when someone feels... I learned this a lot, especially after being on your show. I've gotten so many messages from girls that are dealing with chronic illness like you and I are. And it just opened my eyes to, because you have so many followers, just how many women are dealing with this. And a lot of them say, I think I have this, but I'm not sure. What do I ask my doctor for? What do I say I'm dealing with? If someone thinks they may have Lyme or something like that, what do they go to their doctor and say? Yeah, I mean, this is so tough because I try to imagine, like I said, I'm so lucky that I found my doctor because I try to imagine myself going to my general practitioner from mm-hmm. Sacramento or other doctors and saying, I think I have Lyme. What should I do? I feel like they would either laugh at me because it's so misunderstood or they would 
if they were smart, refer me to someone else, Mm -hmm. which would be great Mm -hmm. to a Lyme literate doctor. So for everybody listening, if you are going to your general practitioner or your functional medicine doctor, I would say, I think I fit the symptoms for Lyme disease and I would like to see a Lyme literate doctor. Do you have any recommendations and can you refer me? I think that would be the best route versus doing the testing with your current doctor. No matter how much you love your doctor, they might not be an expert in Lyme, so you might be wasting your time. And I think I was the best thing I learned. So before I was diagnosed with Lyme and I was at True North, the water fasting center, I met a lot of people there who had Lyme disease or were recovering from Lyme disease or had lifelong complications because of Lyme. Wow. These elder, elderly women who their psoriasis was so bad, it made my skin issues look like nothing. Mm. And they told me this is from having Lyme as a young adult and not getting treated properly. So all these people, they would take one look at me and they would say, you have Lyme disease. We can tell and you're so sick and, and we can see it all over your body, your skin, your eyes, your demeanor, like you have Lyme. And so they told me, if you don't have a Lyme literate doctor, you're wasting your time. And I I was so confused. I was like, what is a Lyme literate doctor? And how do I know if my doctor is a Lyme literate doctor? And so I looked and I had done the testing already with Dr. Lehman. I just hadn't gotten the results yet. Mm. And she is a Lyme literate doctor. That's her profession. That's her thing. But I would just highly recommend finding someone who can do that. And it's difficult because... I'm sure a lot of people listening don't live in LA Mm -hmm. and LA is kind of like this wellness Mecca. And even here, there aren't that many good Lyme doctors, but there are a few. So we're lucky people come here from all over the country and all over the world to get treated by my doctor and the other doctors in her practice and other doctors around LA. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I talk to people who follow my blog, who live in the Midwest and they say there's one Lyme doctor in my whole town and I can't get into her. She doesn't take my insurance, all this stuff. And my heart goes out to those people because it's so hard, so hard. So if for some reason you can't see a Lyme literate doctor because they're not in your network of insurance providers, which mine isn't, but sometimes you just have to put your health first. You have to, or Mm -hmm. else you have nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, then push for the most recent testing that's not the Western blot. And then if your doctor tells you you don't have Lyme, just tell them, I believe that I do and I would like to get tested and I'm not going to leave until you test me. Mm-hmm. Because really we know what's we know what's going on in our bodies. And I mean, I think I'm a testament to that, like a decade of trying to figure out what was wrong with some of the most highly regarded doctors in the world that I've had access to because of my blog. And I have had impromptu appointments with them, Mm -hmm. like when they come on the podcast or something and nobody ever mentioned it. So sometimes you have to do the research for yourself Mm -hmm. and podcasts like yours, where we talk about these kinds of things, give people the chance to realize maybe that's why they feel so sick. Mm -hmm. And I think the other, to your point about the insurance if you don't, if you're with a doctor that's not covered by insurance, a lot of the testing is covered by insurance mm-hmm. though. So you can get thousands of dollars of tests done that are really good, stool tests, urine samples, um, you know, all these different blood tests to check all these panels, and then you pay to see the doctor. But you don't have to, I don't think people realize that just because the doctor's out of network doesn't mean all the testing won't be paid for as well. Exactly. So I think, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be pricey, of course, but at least if you can get all of that done, and even if it's with your general practitioner, so you feel comfortable, you get all that done, and then you take it to a functional doctor or a Lyme literate doctor, that is one way to do it as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's really true. Yeah. I want you to talk about ozone because you've done it a little more than I have. I think I've had three or four treatments now, but 
I feel like I've turned a corner. I feel really good. And so I'm like knocking on all the wood everywhere (laughs) because I'm like, okay, I think this is working. But you talked a little bit about the Herx reaction and I've been just trying to scream from the rooftops about what ozone is and what it does. They take the ozone out of the actual ozone of the world Mm -hmm. and they put it in a bottle and then they suck the blood right out of you and they put it in the bottle. The doctor shakes it and then it goes back in. I've been doing a 10 pass, which means it goes back in 10 times for about an hour. I know you've been doing a little less because you are so sick. So what has that experience been like? And do you feel like that's making a difference yet? Yeah, so I finally worked my way up to 10 pounds. Oh, good girl. We did three, (laughs) then five, then seven, then eight, many, many times, and then 10. Okay. And it's hard to even give enough blood for 10 passes. Yeah. So do you take a blood thinner or something? Yeah, I take an aspirin the night before and then the morning of, and then there's a blood thinner in, I guess, in the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Because of my Lyme brain, as they call it, which is like scatterbrain from the Lyme, but I'm a scatterbrain person to begin with, I always forget to take the blood thinner in the oh. morning. So we then we can't really go past eight passes. Mm-hmm. But my doctor, it clots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just stops coming mm-hmm. out. Um, my doctor said eight passes and 10 passes are pretty interchangeable, but 10 is, of course, the goal because mm-hmm. that cleans 40% of your blood. that's so much. I know. So I remember you saying that after the first time of doing ozone, by the second time, your blood was not as dark. Mm -hmm. Your blood was red, Mm -hmm. which is healthy blood. Right. And sick blood is dark and thick. It's it's almost black. Yeah. Um, So after about, I think I've done ozone like 10 or 12 times because it's been like almost three months of doing it every week. My blood is still black. So that's an indicator Mm -hmm. of it's still really sick blood. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm waiting for it to come out just a little lighter and it hasn't been. So that goes to show even with all this cleaning every week, 40% of my blood getting cleaned by the ozone, it continues to all the bad bacteria continues Mm -hmm. to multiply. Mm -hmm. So every time it comes out, it's dark and that's not a good thing, but to me, seeing it is promising because I still feel really sick. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to actually have a visual representation right. of it's not just in my head. Mm-hmm. It's not just in my head, which I'm still recovering from believing it was all in my head yeah. since I only recently found out that it wasn't. Um, I feel like it's helping a lot. I think I feel a lot healthier than I did a couple months ago when I really couldn't get out of bed at all. And I was having just these horrible like brain fog incidences where I couldn't even figure out what to put in my purse to leave the house. Mm. It would take me two hours. And then I would have a panic attack Mm -hmm. because it was just the most stressful thing. And that was if I could even leave the house. That's happening a lot less now. And I just have to be okay with every day being different and Mm -hmm. having these really healthy days and being on such a high from the engagement. I didn't feel sick for almost a week. Wow. And I had my moments of like extreme exhaustion, but I really didn't. And my mom kept joking with me, you're due for a crash Mm -hmm. because... I wasn't having one. I was just way up on cloud nine. And then I finally did start to crash. And then I have felt really sick. Mm. So it's interesting that extreme happiness can really pull you out of even some of the darkest, most sickest feelings. Mm -hmm. But I also want to believe, and I do believe, that ozone is helping and that even if it's just little by little, and this is going to be a really long process... I feel like I'm healing and going in the right direction. What's hard is that people want, people just want it to be so black and white. So we were with a bunch of family this weekend that I don't see as often. And they're like, well, you're healthy, you're better, you look amazing, and you're engaged now. So you're not <laughs> that's all the world's problems. Right, right. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's You're like, yeah, my blood's totally clean because I have a ring on my finger. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So like people, oh, so you're, you're healing from Lyme, but you're, you're on such a, going in such a positive direction. So glad you're not really sick anymore. That kind of thing. 
Because I think it's just more comfortable for people to believe that and yeah. to feel like it is so black and white and to look at you and see a healthy looking person and want to believe that that's how you feel mm -hmm. on the inside. Mm -hmm. So that's all really hard because then I, I just feel so misunderstood. Yeah. So misunderstood and... And then I feel like, oh God, do people think I'm lazy because I can't really do anything, but I look totally normal. Mm -hmm. So that's all tough. And then I have a good day, really good day. And hundreds of thousands of people might see that on social media and then be like, but I thought you were sick. So it's a very tricky thing to navigate. It is. Yeah, I think chronic disease is one of the most misunderstood things. One, because people are just now realizing what it is and how many people are sick. I think the statistics I recently saw was like 55 million people have chronic illness in the United States. 55 million people, like that's absurd. Yeah, that's huge. But I think the awareness is starting to get there where people are having these conversations. Um, I know that you're not just going the holistic route with dealing with the Lyme. And I think that's something that people also don't understand is there is this world where Eastern meets Western medicine and medicine always has its place. And I, even functional medicine doctors and, and mine in particular has put me on medication because you can't fix everything, right? With Eastern as much as I think we would like to think that and we want to be as clean as possible. So how are you dealing with all the Lyme, the co-infections, the leaky gut, and what does that look like? Yeah, so I've had to come to terms with using Western medicine and Eastern medicine together during this journey. And I wouldn't say I was completely opposed before, but I just didn't believe in it anymore mm -hmm. because I had been so wronged by the Western medicine world mm -hmm. and I had been so over-medicated as a teenager and young earlier in my 20s that I was just so anti going back on to medications. So this time I feel like it's a really good healthy balance. I mean, there are things I couldn't have killed without antibiotics. And when I was first diagnosed with Lyme and mold, which in some cases is just as serious, if not more serious, than the Lyme mm. that I've been dealing with because mold can wreak havoc on your body and your brain and every single organ. It's, it's and mold, it multiplies. Mm -hmm. So the spores, oh, I can't even think about it. But if you think about mold in a house and then breathing that in for three years, five years, more, and then having that gene where you're super susceptible to mold. I had so much mold in my body. So I immediately went on three weeks of antibiotics for mold and a lot of things cleared up. Some of the really horrible rashes cleared up, the skin on my face cleared up quite a bit, even though there's a long way to go because of other infections. I saw a huge difference right away. And I think my family definitely did too, people who are used to seeing me all the time. Mm -hmm. So that was nice to have a physical representation of, of the bacteria being killed. And antibiotics, as we know, are not so good for our gut. So then I've been supplementing with probiotics. And so I think it's important if you're going the Western medicine route that you also supplement with supplements mm -hmm. and Eastern medicine and doing a lot of Ayurveda even while I was taking antibiotics and just knowing that I'm not going to get better without a whole host of medications. Mm -hmm. I think I take 30 pills a day. Most of them are natural, but some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I'm moving in the right direction, mm -hmm. so I just trust it. I think at some point you have to find a professional that you trust, whether it's a Lyme doctor or a functional doctor or even an Ayurvedic practitioner, and just go with the protocol that they give you. Because if you're busy trying to figure it all out yourself, it's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And that will, that at least was keeping me, I think, from healing too. I think the tough thing too, and for people that are in the wellness world, we have access to all these people, right? And so there's this doctor, there's that doctor. Well, he said this and she said that. And oftentimes it's conflicting, even if it's all coming from the functional medicine side of things. And these people are holistic, yet they're telling you different things. You have so many people on your show and I listen to your show, so I know the advice they're giving you. And one's telling you to be a vegan, one's telling you to be keto and eat uh -huh. meat. 
and we had a conversation about this. How difficult is it for you to navigate? And when do you feel like people need to decide, I'm going to try this out and I'm going to give it an actual chance without hopping to something else five days later because this person said it's the best thing that I have to do? That's such a good question. I, I feel like at this point, after I spent many years getting really gung-ho about all the different advice, one at a time. First it was vegan and then it was raw vegan. And then after that it was paleo, but then really hardcore keto. And every single one of these things I thought was gonna be my answer, my cure-all to feeling so sick. And first with the stomach problems, but now with the rashes and Lyme and so much more. I have, I people always ask me like, what, what my Lyme doctor, how does she tell me how to eat? And I always tell people she doesn't tell me how to eat and that's what I love about her. Mm. Cause she's not a nutritionist. She's here to cure my Lyme disease. She's not telling me what to eat. I mean, she knows that I'm not eating processed food out of the box, like macaroni and cheese. Like she knows that I'm eating healthy and that's all that matters to her. So I, I mean, it's hard because I want to, I want to believe that some of these really amazing doctors and professionals that are on my podcast are going to have the answers for me. But I, I also have to remind myself they don't really know me. They haven't looked through my health history. They don't know what how my body responds mm-hmm. to me or to different things. So I just have to take it with a grain of salt. And then I have to be okay with the fact that all the listeners of my podcast heard that advice and are now wondering why I'm not listening to it. And then I just have to tell everyone and remind everyone who asks me, I'm just listening to my body. That's the best I can do. Mm -hmm. When it comes to food, I've learned that's what's best for me. And I love to incorporate the advice that I get. Incorporate, though, not take it over as the word of God. So I've incorporated so many Ayurvedic principles, but not all of them Mm -hmm. because some of it's too much for me, Some too much ghee, too much rice, all that, but I love it and it works for me when, when I do it in my own modified way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really hard because you want someone to heal you, to cure you, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of doctors have wanted me to not be, to not be vegan as I am because it's limiting, it's Maybe you're not getting enough protein, especially when you're sick. But I just have to go off of how I feel Mm -hmm. right now and also just look at the differences of like, I can literally look at a picture of myself when I was not vegan versus now. And I was really not doing so well when, Mm -hmm. when I was eating all that meat and poultry and even fish. I mean, my body wasn't happy ever Mm -hmm. at all. And now at least I, I feel like Most of the time, my body's happy, my stomach's happy, even if I'm still really sick. And at least I can control that in a way with knowing what works for me with food. What works for you, that's the exact thing, is just because it works for you doesn't mean it's gonna work for this person or that person, and what they're doing may not work for you either. And I I do love that you don't tell people, you need to be a vegan or get out of here, you know? You're very much inclusive, which I love, but I think the one thing you're also te- teaching people, and my girlfriend is a dietitian and she's all about intuitive eating. And that's something that she taught me when I, when she diagnosed me with my eating disorder. And it was all about listening to your intuition and really feeling how food makes you feel, whether it's if it causes inflammation, if you feel full, if you're hungry and understanding how to pinpoint those things. How do you go about doing that and knowing you know what, right now I need this juice or right now I just need cooked vegetables. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing, I think, especially having an eating disorder in the past and then relearning how to be intuitive with food when for years I didn't acknowledge when I was hungry or maybe what my body actually needed, but I was giving it a juice instead. It took me many years to relearn how to be intuitive and even relearn how to notice when are you hungry when are you full what does an actual meal look like where you are getting full but not overly full Mm -hmm. because i think at first after being so restrictive and not eating enough 
I was then leaning toward eating too much all the time because I felt like, okay, it's healthy to eat until you're really full because then I know I'm eating enough food. And I did that for a while, felt very sick and got myself very sick in the stomach. And that's how I found Dr. Lekos, our functional medicine doctor, Mm -hmm. where I realized okay, at least mentally I'm glad that I let myself go for a while, but physically this can't keep happening because yeah. I'm not feeling well. Now it's been four years of post-recovery from my eating disorder, and I feel like intuitive eating is is just coming naturally to me, which feels really good. So this morning is a good example. I wasn't hungry at all. I woke up. My stomach was really, was really, um, really upset, which happens to me all the time because I have a sensitive stomach mm-hmm. and was drinking a little bit of coffee, which I've recently, very recently reincorporated. Uh-oh. I know. Where's Jonathan? I know. Well, yeah, Jonathan <laughs> is the coffee police. He, put that back. Yeah, I bought Chameleon Cold Brew over the weekend and put it in our refrigerator and like clockwork, as I was sipping it <laughs> yesterday, he called out from a different room, you're not drinking that coffee, are you? You didn't buy that for no. you, did you're you? You're engaged to a man with eyes in the back of his head. That I is know. not good. <laughs> I know. I was like, no, I did buy it, and I am going to have it, and oh, that's just what's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. I love it, and I feel like the ritual is really important to me, and as long as I'm not doing it every day, mm-hmm. then I feel okay, but we'll see. I'll probably have to cut it out again at some point. But, um, you have to go through phases. Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah, I'm yep. enjoying it for now. Oh, I yep. had some this morning, and I didn't want to come here without eating because right. I had coffee, so mm-hmm. I'd be all jittery. Yeah. Um, but I, nothing sounded good, nothing that I usually eat in the morning, which is usually fruit or a smoothie with something like sweet like that, really didn't sound good. So I ended up having some vegetables that were left over from the other night, and they were delicious. And it was like squash and potatoes, and I put some tahini mm. on it. So it was a great breakfast. But most people would think vegetables for breakfast, mm-hmm. that's a little counterintuitive. But today, that's what sounded good. And I feel good. I feel satiated. I feel energized. I put the tahini on it because fat, healthy fat, yep. and it tastes good. So being intuitive, I also try to be pragmatic, like mm-hmm. have if you're going to have some, like this carb type of breakfast, add some fat so that you stay full. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the spices on the vegetables, so that's all good and warming for my pitta stomach. Mm-hmm. So intuitive with a little hint of how will I feel throughout mm-hmm. the day if I have this for breakfast and how will I feel in a few hours. What is my goal? Do I actually want to be full and satiated so I can do this interview and then go do the next thing that we're doing? And that was my goal. So I wanted to be full. I had to eat, even though if I had my full leisure and I was just at home all day, I would have waited to eat because I really wasn't hungry. Mm -hmm. So intuitive eating is hard. It's it's hard. It's hard to get used to it, but it's the best way to eat because then you get to have dessert when you want it and nothing is off limits, but Mm -hmm. you're also not having dessert after every meal of the day and feeling sick. Mm -hmm. And you're paying attention to the cues that your body is giving you, whether it's that you're tired or you get a headache or you're puffy or you break out or any of those things, those are all cues that certain foods don't work for you. And I think that's where people have to pinpoint and step back is say, eat something, give your body time to feel that, and then make a decision as to whether or not that's the right thing for you. Because I don't really eat dairy, but for other people, they can have dairy and it doesn't bother them. So if that works for you, then that's great. It doesn't mean it needs to be off limits. You just have to see how it makes you feel. And I think that's, it is hard to do. It is. So my girl who wrote Breaking Vegan over here, Who decided to not be a vegan, and then now we're plant-based again. Mm -hmm. How has that been? And I'm not really necessarily concerned with what people's reactions are because they're probably all over the place, of course. But just for yourself in kind of coming full circle and going back to that after having written an entire book about not being a vegan anymore. Yeah, I would say that is like the epitome of who I am. It's not surprising to me Mm. that I've gone so back and forth. I will, if I'm doing something and like that's my lifestyle, it becomes a really huge passion of mine to talk about it and write about it and share about it and really live, live it. So it's interesting and 
I guess with Breaking Vegan, it was always so much more about like, it was a part of the journey. And even when I wrote that book and I finished it, I told my agent and everybody who would listen, this is funny because this is a chapter in my life. It's a whole book, but it's one chapter in my life. And I wrote it while I was going through it, which is really interesting. It was almost like diary entries or something. And it's special to me forever because it was a memoir, so it, it really does cover like the first part of my life and not just that very short period of time, but what led up to that and what caused me to be so rigid when I was a vegan and label myself and all those things. So I've learned so much and I think as, as much as I still say like, vegan is the way that I eat because it's easy to describe it that way. I don't believe in those labels the way that I used to because I learned so much, especially from not being a vegan, from very publicly walking away from that label. I learned that vegan, the word vegan is, well, it's it can be cultish, it can be political. There are so many things that come along with that word when I was using it really for the way that I ate. And also, of course, I loved not harming animals and a lot of the political side of it, the environmental side, but I was most concerned with being a healthy person. I don't think you can do good things for any cause if you're a sick person. So that's, of course, what I think, and there's so much controversy with that. And then I tried everything under the sun, all the meat. I was literally afraid of vegetables because then I thought that is what would make me feel so sick or that's what would make me bloated. And then four years it took me to really find more of a plant-based lifestyle again. And then it turned into a fully plant-based lifestyle. And I see from the outside, it could look so hypocritical, but I was never against plant-based food, what I was really sharing about in my book and what I was really going through was recovering from an eating disorder which was triggered by this very strict, very labeled, very community-oriented lifestyle where it was like only the vegans. And I'm happy to have walked away from that and I'm happy to have found this new, what I call intuitively plant-based lifestyle where I will eat, I mean, I eat Marta's bread from Surya Spot, has eggs in it. It's not militant. And if I, in a few months, feel extremely deficient in certain vitamins and minerals, I would add fish, I would add eggs back into my diet. That's different to me from being a vegan, mm -hmm. a vegan vegan that is against everything. Adding all the other things into our, into our diet. But I think I've just learned a lot. I've learned a lot from... The first time I was vegan, I've learned a lot from the time that I wrote that book. And to address, because a lot of people ask me, do I regret titling my book Breaking Vegan? I don't. I don't. Because it was a chapter of my life. And I did. I broke away from the label. And breaking away from the label was one of the most empowering things I've ever done. And being the extreme person that I am, I still have friends and family tell me frequently, like, don't call yourself a vegan again. Be careful, because if you publicly call yourself a vegan, you're bringing yourself back into what, what you wrote a book about and wrote a book of getting away from. But I think that's just who I am. I just share my life. I just share it compulsively, and it makes me happy. And even if you look at my birth chart, like, expressing myself is who I am. So I can't help it. And even if it looks a little funny sometimes from the outside, it's just, it's who I am. I express myself. I use the word vegan. I use the word plant-based. And I just, I no longer believe what I used to believe, which is that veganism was the cure-all for health issues. I just think it's a nice, it's a nice added bonus, like all the supplements that I take. It's something positive that I can do for my body at this time. I know the spirituality obviously plays a big role in all of this for you, and you're one of the people that really pushed me over the edge on that 
side of things with I've seen Shaman Durek and and just being more in tune with my energy and and the way other people affect me and being an introvert and you know really tapping into that side of things so how has the spiritual side of things played a role in you being comfortable with who you are and putting yourself out there and also just dealing with this healing journey it's been a huge part of everything and maybe that's also why I've changed a lot, grown a lot in mm -hmm. four years because I discovered this side of myself and I've always been spiritual but a long time ago that meant something different to me. It used to be when I was 15 and I discovered yoga, I think I was always in my group of friends the one who would be considered spiritual but that has taken on a whole new meaning in the last year and a half since I first discovered Kundalini and then it became astrology and then shamanism and everything under the sun, as you know. I've opened up psychically. I have a meditation practice where I can connect to people who have passed away and it could sound off the wall to a lot of people listening, but I love that. I mean, we're all so different and I love the spiritual part of myself that I found and the spiritual community that I found and how much I've learned from all these amazing people, many of whom you know too. Mm -hmm. And it has helped me a lot because I see the greater purpose for everything. I see that the universe hands us what we can deal with and really nothing more, nothing less. And this sickness is not only part of my journey, but a gift. And I can see that and I truly believe it. And it's a huge gift. It's taught me to slow down. It has taught me to put myself first. It is the catalyst for so many things, moving into this beautiful new space and things that maybe I would have continued to put off. And it's also a gift because helping other people and shedding light on this awful disease is the next big passion of mine where mm -hmm. once it was sharing veganism, blasting it from the rooftops. Now it's, I feel like I can help so many people and the opportunity to do that is a gift. But without all the spirituality and all the kind of work I've done on myself, I don't think I would view such a difficult thing as a gift. Mm -hmm. And things like, yeah, shamanism and even Ayurveda mm -hmm. have have just become a part of who I am. Yeah, I feel like I was listening to your episode with Mary and the Medium. I think it was the day you guys got engaged. And she yeah. was talking about how Jonathan is, you know, he's in it for the long haul. And I'm thinking, yeah, he is. I know, it was so funny. Everybody told me, like, they listened to that the day that we got engaged because yeah. it came out that day. Uh -huh. And Marianne said, like, okay. And she was literally trying not to give it away because I talked to her later. <gasps> and she knew that he was... Posing because she's psychic. She saw it, yeah. So she, but she was trying not to, to give it away, and she was saying, "Well, I the whole thing about the wedding, white yeah. at weddings." And then she's like, "Oh, I hear nuptials, Jordan, November." And I'm like, "Oh, my friend is getting married in November." But then, yeah, it was very obvious. It's the timing of it. Mm -hmm. But I think just between her and the shamans and and different psychics that you've worked with or seen or talked to, how has that helped you understand your own power and and allowed you to feel comfortable stepping into that power and not being afraid of it or coming from a place of fear in your life? I think every day I remind myself and realize all over again how powerful I am. It's the first words that come to me when I meditate, mm -hmm. or at least today it was, mm -hmm. when I was meditating on my trampoline. <laughs> um, I, the first words I heard were her, you are so much power, so much more powerful than you think you are. And I just think that that's such a beautiful thing because being so sick, we can forget how powerful we are and that we even are powerful and that we're unique and we have something to share that's different from what other people are sharing or that our voice needs to be heard also because it's so easy to tell ourselves, well, there are so many people already talking about this. Mm -hmm. Who cares about what I have to say? But that rootedness, that spiritual aspect of my life always reminds me, I'm so powerful. I'm so unique. I am the only me there is. So I have to share my voice because nobody else can do that. Nobody mm -hmm. else is me. And I think that's something 
everybody needs to know about themselves. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to think, I'm not that special. There's a lot of special people out there doing incredible things. But every single person is so special. Nobody's you. It's like a superpower. It's Mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. So I know you're working on some cool stuff. I don't know how much you want to share it. You've talked about doing a new book, um, which is really cool. So between the, the new book and some of the other projects you're working on, what are you the most excited about right now? Definitely the book, um, because I just, I'm a writer through and through. I would love to, I mean, I love my blog. I love my podcast. It's Mm -hmm. not going anywhere, but I would just love to be an author as a career. Mm. Um, That's what I see for my future and books about real things from fiction and everything. So this next book, I feel like is almost the bridge between me and that life. And I'll never stop my blog. I love it so much and my podcast, but to not have to rely on it as a career is exciting. And because I am spiritual and I believe in the universe and manifesting, I know that that's what's coming for me because I'm manifesting it. I'm bringing it to life. Mm -hmm. So that book I'm so excited about, especially because it's my journey. It's my journey with Lyme. And that's right now the most important thing in my life, the biggest thing in my life, something that I hope will change a lot of people's lives for the better. The next Yolanda Hadid (laughs) memoir, maybe her her memoir is incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about that. It's just the early stages I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because I do recognize that I'm still really sick. So I want this book to have an ending that's positive and mm-hmm. and be able to help people with things that I have yet to experience. Mm-hmm. So just starting it is the exciting part to me, knowing that I'll put it out there. And then I'm excited about planning a wedding. Yeah. And... I think that's so healthy for me to be excited about something that's not work-related. Mm-hmm. And then with my brand, this course that I'm working on, I think I've told you about no, it. I no, I don't think I know about so this. So I haven't talked about it that much, but it has to do with manifesting. And Ooh. it's an audio course. And I'm really taking my time, really, really taking my time because it all came to me in Bali. It was channeled. I channeled like all these notebooks full of information about it. But then I continued to be really sick. Mm. So I didn't want to start anything being so sick. So that's coming. Love that. Yeah. That's so amazing. And then just, yeah, blogging more, writing more. I know you mentioned that after Hawaii, you wanted to sort of step back a little bit and, and you felt like you were still sharing so much. You were working so much. And as much as you took time off, you didn't feel like you took time off the way you could have. Is that going to shift for you as well? Do you see your day-to-day trying to to focus on your health more than you have been? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I think I can always improve in that area. And I've come a long way with that. But I would love to continue to improve. I picked up this book in Hawaii. It's about people's morning routines. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was... I had to pick it up, you know? Like Mm -hmm. one of those pings from the universe okay, I have to buy this. I saw it multiple days in a row and then I bought it and now I know why. And it's because reading about other people's morning routines really inspired me to see as much as I talk about having an important morning routine and and whole daytime routine, I really slip into checking my phone first thing and being so on. And that inspired me. So today is really my first day back from Hawaii and working. And I did just what I what I wanted to do. I didn't check my phone. I woke up. I jumped on my trampoline. I had my coffee. My mom came over. And it was just a really nice, really nice morning. And it had nothing to do with emails and screens and work. And I see a lot more of that in my future. Mm-hmm starting my day that way so that I can be inspired to sit down and work on my book and the things that excite me and then go to the doctor's office like Mm -hmm. I do every other day of my life and just keep putting myself first, whatever that looks like, and step away from feeling like I have to be so on, so available, 
So responding to emails immediately, and I hope that I improve. I continue to improve. You will. Thank you so much for being here. I love Thank all this. You. you inspire me so much. You know this already, but you're one of the main reasons that I had the courage to do this show and continue to be inspired by everything you're doing. And I think you're helping all of us in the autoimmune community with everything you're sharing. So thank you for being a pillar of strength, even in your darkest moments. I know it's not easy and I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining Jordan and me today. As you heard, Jordan is truly a magical light worker in this world and has completely elevated my heart and soul. Again, to connect with Jordan, go to The Balanced Blonde on Instagram and make sure you check out my fave podcast, The Soul on Fire podcast in Apple Music. In just a few days, I'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on The Platform Podcast. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at This Is The Platform or my website with tons of resources at thisistheplatform.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review as this is a new show and I want to share it with as many new friends as possible. See you soon and thanks for listening to The Platform Podcast. <laughs>